What is wisdom worth to you? If you could place a value on it, how high of a value would it be? Or would it be a lower value or somewhere in between? Well, the writer of the book of Proverbs, which is God's Holy Spirit-inspired work, would argue that wisdom should be of the utmost importance in our lives. It should be the highest priority of all. Wisdom, he would say, is what is true and right combined with good judgment. Now, in Proverbs chapter 4, which I'm going to encourage you to read on your own this week, uh, take the time and read that, there's a father speaking to his son regarding wisdom, admonishing him to do everything that he can in his life to obtain it, saying, I was once a son myself, and let me tell you, seek wisdom because it is pays. He's telling his son, arrange your life around wisdom and all, and you will receive rewards as a result beyond anything that you can imagine. Do you want money? Wisdom is better. Do you want fame and fortune? Wisdom is better. Do you want achievement, power, and recognition? Wisdom is better. Do you want comfort, leisure, and success? Wisdom is better. Do you want accomplishments, influence, and respect? Wisdom is better. And wisdom is the road that will lead to many of these desires that I have just described for you that people have. Now think about, for a moment, the people you know. Do you know parents, moms, and dads who exercise sound judgment in the rearing of their children? Dads who seem to know when it's best to encourage and when it's best to admonish, when it's best to be tender and, and to comfort, and when it's best to correct strongly? Do you know mothers, any mothers out there, who just seem to have the knack of knowing when to give good advice or when just to listen, when to teach or when to let life's consequences be their children's best teacher? What value would you place upon parents like these? And how important are parents like these in the 21st century where the world seems to be falling apart faster than anybody can put it back together? And how significant will young people be to the future of our nation and the future of this world, for that matter, who have had been raised by wise parents like these? In chapter 2 of the book of Proverbs, it begins by saying, my son. So again, a dad's talking to his son. And look at what he says in verses 11 through 13. Discretion will protect you. And understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways. Wisdom, the writer of Proverbs says in chapter 24, verse 14, is an effective way to invest in the future, in your future, in your children's future. It says, if you find it, there is a future hope for you. Now, anyone want to place a value on that? On having children who grow up to make wise decisions, who act justly, and who walk humbly with their God? Now, consider for a moment the antithesis of what I've just been telling you here. The parental heartache that parents endure when they have children who act out. Who, when they have children who behave immorally and, and are unethical and lawless. Think about the heavy emotional and financial costs of all of that. Now whether parents will admit it or not, 
Most parents highly value having children who do good things, who handle relationships maturely, who deal with conflict appropriately, who make good, smart decisions. Proverbs 15 verse 20 says, a wise son brings joy to his father. That, uh, wise children, they bring joy to their parents, to their moms and their dads and to their grandparents as well. The flip side of this is also true. Children who've been raised by hardworking, responsible, godly parents, more often than not, will grow to appreciate the good parenting that they have received. Proverbs 17 verse 6 says, children's children are a crown to the aged, and, uh, they, and parents are the pride of their children. One cannot put a price on these things. But you can place a value on them, a high value. So high, in fact, that we can call them invaluable. That is, having a value that is too great to measure. And I can tell you this, as a parent, and, and now as a grandparent, I care and have cared more about my children and grandchildren's character than I ever have about their intelligence, about their accomplishments, about their prosperity, about their awards that they've earned, their scholastic achievements, their athletic accomplishments, their income levels, etc., etc., etc. Because I know that their character in life is what will lead them to good decisions, which in turn will yield God-honoring results. Who they are deep down inside will guide their processes in life, and all things being equal will lead to good things for them. Now, with all of that being said, to whet your appetite a little bit for today's sermon, Love and Discipline from Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, I've also shared it, though, to introduce you to this new sermon series in the book of Proverbs, because for the next five weeks, we're going to be covering wisdom and love and their relationship. Because our theme here at Mission Covenant Church for 2022 is what our billboards say out along the highway there. That we are to, to love God and we're to love others. And obviously this is tied to Jesus' instructions in the gospel when he was asked which are the greatest commandments. And Jesus said that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength and all our soul. And we should love our neighbor as ourself. We believe that this is what our world needs right now more than ever. To be exposed to people who love their God and love their fellow human beings. Think for a moment of all the distorted values that are out there right now. The utter confusion that exists over gender. Now they're saying there's over a hundred possibilities with gender out there. And think about all the confusion about human sexuality and how confusing is all of that to children growing up with all of the overt indoctrination that's happening specifically in those two areas and all of the intolerance if you don't embrace and, and accept all of that as being normal or being right or true and then, then the conformism that you have to conform all of that. Then add to that the war that's going on in Ukraine and runaway inflation right now that's devastating people and supply chain shortages and the bewildering political climate of our day and the food insecurities and food shortages. Do you realize that Russia, China, and Ukraine provide a, the lion's share of fertilizer in our world right now? Think about that for a moment. Not to mention that they provide a lot of wheat, corn, and soybeans. And this is going to profoundly impact uh, many nations throughout the world, especially third world countries. And, and maybe you don't recognize this yet, but the southern hemisphere countries like Venezuela and Argentina, they've had their crops in a long time ago. 
and they're expecting an 80% production rate. Now think about that for a moment. You know, 80% they're already predicting. Why is that? Well, they use 10% less fertilizer because fertilizer is so expensive and hard to get. And they use 10% less seed that they put in the ground because it's expensive and it's hard to get. So they're not even considering yet what any droughts or floods or bug infestations or molds or natural disasters that will happen. And they're already saying we're only going to produce 80% of the food. Now extrapolate that throughout the world. And it's not hard to see 20 to 25% of the world's population going hungry or possibly even starving to the folks. This comes very close to end time biblical prophecies. This is of epic biblical proportions that we're talking about. And what I do know the world will need is not Christians arguing over politics. Not Christians arguing against wokeism or trying to win the culture wars that were lost decades ago. What the church needs to do is to take a page out of the early church's playbook, which by the way, ironically, is right from the Bible. And, and we need to love God and love people around us in the midst of all of these challenges, all these crises, and all these pandemics. See, the early church became the dominant religion of the Roman Empire. From 500 or so followers at the time that Jesus left this earth to be the dominant religion of the Roman Empire, which controlled one-fourth of the world's population, it became the dominant religion not by arguing against Romans' policies, but by loving God and loving their fellow mankind. And this is the antidote to the sickness of our era as well. Can I hear an amen? amen? By the way, our theme verse here in 2022 is 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. That's telling us that true believers love God and they love their fellow human beings no matter what is going on in the culture. Now, with that being said, let me just share a few thoughts with you about Proverbs before we jump into our text for today. First of all, Proverbs are short, pithy statements of truth. They're not promises or guarantees about what will happen in the future. For instance, any thoughtful person can come up with exceptions to the Proverbs. An example of this would be Proverbs chapter 28, and verse 19, it says this, He who works his land will have abundant food, but he who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. Well, you know, throughout history, there have been a number, numerous in fact, hard-working farmers who have gone hungry. And yet we have people nowadays that go to casinos regularly, and some of them win jackpots. And there are people who play the lottery, and some of them win tens of millions of dollars. So there's always exceptions. But Proverbs simply tell us how life works most of the time. All things being equal, this is what will occur. Now, a person can think about exceptions to Proverbs, but only after you have learned the guiding principle. Because to live one's life by the exceptions is, as Proverbs would say, foolish. That's what fools do. That's folly. That's to invite disaster into your life. But here's the rule. Godly, moral, hardworking, wise people will reap rewards in life. It's also important to mention that Proverbs are like song lyrics. 
They are written using poetic forms of ancient Hebrew to make them easy to memorize. Just like you can remember lyrics to songs. It's written poetically like that. And many of them are written as couplets with successive lines of a verse which make a statement and then they repeat it in a slightly different form. A kind of parallelism. Like Proverbs chapter 9 verse 9. It says, instruct a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will add to his learning. Sometimes Proverbs will use poetic contrasts, like the very verse before that one there in Proverbs 9, verse 8. It says, do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. You're inviting scorn and, and, and uh, you know, opposition and pushback and attitude when you correct a mocker. But if you correct someone who's wise, who wants to learn and grow and always become a better human being, they're going to they're gonna appreciate that. And Proverbs 11, verse 24 is another one. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. People can be generous, and they can give so much, and they, get, they gain. They don't fall back. They, they actually move forward. But there are people who just hang on to everything And they end up in poverty. This now brings us to our text today, which speaks of the wisdom, uh, speaks of wisdom and love uh, in terms of discipline. Listen to Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24. Whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Now, this has historically been known as the spare the rod, spoil the child text. But please know that the emphasis here in this verse is not on physical punishment for wrongdoing. The focus is on loving our children enough, caring enough for our children to discipline them. And this at face value seems counterintuitive. Because doesn't it, you know, loving people mean that we just accept them unconditionally with no strings attached? Aren't, after all, the most loving churches the ones that show the most mercy and compassion to people out there? And, and don't even people who have the spiritual gift of mercy, I, I mean, they have such a hard time saying no to people. Why would God give people a spiritual gift where it's almost impossible for them to say no to someone if God didn't want us just to love everybody with no strings attached. Well, yes, discipline at face value seems unloving, but many times it is the most loving thing to do. To have an intervention with someone who's a drug addict or someone who struggles with alcohol or someone who has a gambling addiction or a sexual addiction is not unloving. It's trying desperately to see if we can get this person's affected, the, the, the affected person's life heading in the right direction toward a better future with healthier relationships and even taking better care of their own body. See, to love those under our care does at times require disciplining them, which is very, it's a very biblical concept. And it isn't just in the Old Testament either. In fact, it actually is expounded more fully upon in the New Testament. If you have your Bibles available, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12 for a moment. And we're going to look there at verses 5 through 11. It reads as follows. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? Sounds a lot like Proverbs, doesn't it? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone that he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined 
by their father. And if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You're not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So all of us are under God's discipline as our heavenly Father wants to train us to be godly and to conform to the image of Christ Jesus. So we should be trained by it. And are you parents out there training your children by disciplining them? Are you grandparents out there doing the same thing when you get to spend time with your grandchildren? And I know it's hard. It's a lot easier to spoil them. In fact, I had no trouble disciplining my children when I was raising them. But I'll tell you what, it's really hard to say no to those little bambinos that are grandchildren. Wow, that's a hard one for me. But we need as grandparents to come alongside our children as they parent their children. And this is an important part of discipline, that we support what our children are doing with their children. Are you then seeing a harvest of righteousness and peace in your home? Are you seeing uh, that harvest of righteousness and peace in your life? Are you seeing it in your children? What the Bible does is tell us how important discipline is in our lives and in the lives of our children and the rest of our offspring. And Proverbs 13 verse 24 uh, points out to not discipline our children is to hate our children. And literally in the Hebrew language, it means to abandon a child. It means to reject a child. To not discipline them is abandoning them. It's rejecting them. Now, I feel a tremendous burden in my life right now for two groups of people in our society, police officers and teachers. And why do I feel this way? Because they are on the front lines every single day of having to deal with those who are growing up or have grown up with poor parenting or no parenting at all and are facing the consequences then of these young people or these young adults acting out. Teachers and police officers now have to be social workers. They have to be therapists. They have to be guidance counselors and even daycare providers. They have to be advisors and parents and even punching bags for children. And they get to do all of this with one hand tied behind their backs because of all the restrictions and regulations that are placed upon them. Children, on the other hand, can be on their cell phones night and day. All night long. They can be watching television to the wee hours of the morning. They can be playing video games for hours upon hours each day ad nauseum. They can eat junk food and energy drinks galore to no end. They can live sedentary lives and not take their medications. They can do nothing productive. They can take in all kinds of inappropriate pornography on their computers and their cell phones. And they can send sexually explicit messages to their friends. They can demand whatever pronouns they want to be called and they can change their gender willfully at a moment's notice. They can use illegal drugs. They can vape. They can drink alcohol to the extreme. And when they act out, it's the police officer's 
fault. Or it's the teacher's responsibility to care for them, to nurture them, and to teach them. No, let's tell the truth here. Let's be honest here. They have parents who hate them. Remember our Hebrew word here? They have parents who've rejected them. They have parents who have abandoned them. So guess what? As human beings, we will always take the path of least resistance. And we wonder why we're ending up with a generation that's bent toward entitlement and seems unwilling to work very hard because too much lenience is detrimental to children's physical, emotional, social, and spiritual well-being. We have to name it. It is unloving. And by the way, why do children at such young ages need cell phones anyway? Why give them one when they can get into so much trouble and they don't even have the maturity to manage them? And why do we let people in our homes, young people, keep their cell phones in their rooms at night or even have a computer in their room at night? We want to protect them from all the evils that are out there in the world. And yet we let them bring them right into their bedroom. And they can stay up to the wee hours of the night when they're not getting rest and sleep like they need. And you know, we've had young people in our church that have wandered away from the faith. And they played video games till, to, to no end. And they had cell phones. I know they were sending messages in the middle of the night because their peers have told me they're getting texts from them at three in the morning. And they wander away from the faith. And I wonder if that truly would have happened if the parents would have had enough backbone to set some limits. And it's okay to set limits. In fact, it's good parenting to do so. It is the loving thing to do. Now, there's another side of discipline that the Bible addresses, and that is not to be too harsh with our children. And Ephesians chapter 6 addresses this issue. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy a long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now, the context here is written clearly to parents, mothers and fathers. And this was a patriarchal society in the Greco-Roman world. Uh, a father, the male in that household had total control, total say. In fact, many women weren't even educated or allowed to be educated back then. It was a completely different world. So when he's taking on fathers here and telling them not to be too harsh when they have total control over everything, this is strong words to fathers. And yes, fathers need to step up, especially in the culture we're in right now. And they need to be engaged in their children's lives and their children's spiritual development. They need to lead the way, but, they, but you can't be too harsh in that process. And the reason this is addressed to fathers is because dads can have a tendency to be too harsh. Here's the principle. Rules without a relationship leads to rebellion. Parents who are often too strict, too harsh, too demanding, who think teaching self-control and managing a child's will is actually breaking the spirit of a child, often end up with the wildest children in town. And this is why notoriously it's the pastor's kids that are this way or some church leader's children are this way. 
Proverbs 13 verse 24 tells us that parents who love their children are careful to discipline them. Careful, knowing that too much leniency and too much harsh discipline are both highly problematic. Discipline needs to be exercised with care. And part of this means, in the original language, that we apply it early on in a child's life, that we treat them early with discipline. That's what that means, that careful part, is that you start very early in a child's life. Well, let me share eight helpful hints to disciplining uh, carefully. Number one, deal with issues decisively or immediately. Never say to your child, well, you wait till your father gets home or wait till your mother gets home and see what she has to say or what he has to say. No, deal with whatever the issue is, whoever the parent is there, deal with it immediately. Number two, begin early in a child's life. You know, the parents who often struggle with, with teenagers that end up rebelling uh, maybe had com- many times had compliant children when they were young, so they never really had to discipline much, and all of a sudden, they don't know what to do when they have a child who's a teen and starts acting out. You need to discipline regularly, not, not just for the sake of discipline, but there's things that you need to do consistently, or, 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 or excuse me, along the way. Third thing is, Set reasonable limits. This is something that both moms and dads have to agree to, and sometimes you have to bring the grandparents into the mix as well so that everybody understands what these reasonable limits are and not to be overbearing. Number four, be consistent. Nothing worse than a child getting disciplined strongly one time, and the next time it happens, it's like it gets overlooked. You know, you have to be consistent. And the, the truth is, even uh, children do better where they have more structure than where they have less structure. And I'm telling anybody to be overbearing, but you need to have that structure and you need to be consistent in it. Number five, use appropriate measures. Because as children age, uh, things change. You know, when they're little, it can be a little tap. You know, it can be a little pat on the bottom. It can be, uh, it can be uh, a timeout which is something that we favored and did a lot. Then, of course, you can have loss of privileges, loss of activities. You've got to be careful. You've got to be smart. You've got to be thinking ahead because if you throw too much in the gauntlet down, then you have to live up to that and follow through with that. Uh, then the biggies, when they get older, are cell phones and loss of driving privileges. Remember, you are the parents and you pay the bills. You can set limits. The sixth thing I want you to understand is cool heads prevail. If necessary, take a little time out for yourself. Some parents count to ten. Some walk out of the room for a second to get their wits uh, about themselves. Make sure in those moments that you are acting and not reacting. Because with children, more is often caught than is taught. And if you're in a rage, that's what the children are going to focus on. That, that mom or dad is losing it, you know. And that's what they focus on instead of what they did that was inappropriate. So you don't want your rage to be what this is all about. Number seven, avoid disciplining children for doing things that they didn't know that they did was wrong, okay? This really teaches your children justice. And it's important, you know, if they do, because if it's willful acting out, that has to be dealt with. But if they did something and they didn't know it was wrong, we give a pass. We give grace in our children's upbringing. But then we tell them, if you do this again, 
here's what the consequences will be. So it's a teachable moment. It's an opportunity to educate your children or even your grandchildren in those moments. But you teach justice when you, they didn't know and they didn't willfully act out. So there's not a consequence there. But there will be one in the future. Number eight, always follow up discipline with a time of affirmation. After they've had that time out, after the, uh, the, 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 the emotions can cool down and settle down, after they've had time to think about it, then sit down with them lovingly. Assure them how important they are, how much you love them. What they did, nothing wrong with them. What they did was wrong or it was inappropriate. And that's why mommy or daddy uh, had you on this time out or this is why you face this consequence. And hug them, love them. I used to tell my girls when they were growing up, in those moments after we're hugging and loving and the tears are going and all that, I used to tell them that you're going to grow up to be a good girl. Not every little girl gets the opportunity to grow up to be a good girl, but you're going to grow up to be a good girl. We're setting the bar up there, and this is, you know, telling them these are the reasons these things happen. said the same thing to my son. You know, I had three girls first, so I did the girl thing, but, but then with our son, we tell him the same thing. You're going to grow up to be a good young man. Not every young boy growing up has the opportunity to do that, but you have that opportunity, and that's what's going to happen. Verse 24 in our text again says, whoever spares the rod hates their children, but the one who loves their children is careful to discipline them. Please love your children and grandchildren enough to exercise wisdom and love together by carefully disciplining them. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you for uh, these words of wisdom that you have placed within your scriptures. The instructions that tell us that all of us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, as disciples of Christ, are under discipline. And we are under discipline from a loving heavenly Father who wants us to be trained by discipline. And Lord, following in the steps, in the, being made in the image of God uh, as the Imago Dei, we then have the responsibility of disciplining those under our care, especially our children and our grandchildren. And Lord, it's for the purpose of them growing up to be healthy, functioning, responsible adults who are godly and, and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord, I pray that this this, the church, your church in this world, will live into these responsibilities, especially in these crazy times we find ourselves living in. And God, I pray that you would glorify yourself in the church through loving care and discipline in families. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.